If you have your Bible, if you have your Bible, uh, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians. We'll be looking at starting in, at the end of chapter 1 and verse 24. It's a privilege to be able to preach to you tonight when I'm not being examined. Um, it's both a privilege to be preaching to you and it's a privilege not to be examined. So um, as a result of it, but it is a privilege. Thank you, Pastor Brian, for the chance to do this. As we approach God's word tonight, the question I want you to bring to scripture itself that I'll read for us in just a moment is this. What did you expect? When you were first sensing God's call to ministry, those of you who have pursued it vocationally, and you were taking the necessary steps to pursue seminary, to pursue your first calling, the beginning of your vocational ministry, what did you expect life would look like? What did you expect when you began elder training? When the pastor first said, somebody nominated you to serve as an elder in our congregation, what went through your mind in terms of what did you think life in leadership and ministry would look like? What did it look like when you joined the church that you're now a part of? What did you expect life would look like? What did you expect it all to be like? And how has your experience lined up with your expectation? the questions I want to wrestle with together as we approach God's word. We're looking at the end of chapter 1 of Colossians, actually beginning in verse 24, and in just a minute I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 5. We're really going to focus our attention on those first few verses, on verse 24 through 29 of chapter 1, but I want to read the whole thought to get the whole context there. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, as most of us are probably aware. He tells us at the end of the book that he's writing from prison. We're not fully sure where. I think it's most likely Rome. But he's writing to people that he's never met before. People, though, who have benefited from his ministry through another individual, a man named Epaphras. They've heard the gospel. They embrace the gospel. And Paul is, in many ways, introducing himself to them through the words of the book of Colossians, writing to them about the most important things of this life, drawing our attention, as particularly you may be familiar in verses 15 to 20 of chapter 1, on the, the magnificence of Jesus himself, the eternality of Jesus himself, the wonder of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and where he is even now today. And it sets the tone for the rest of the book. I want to read for us, though, as we ask this question about expectation, I want to read for us from chapter 1, starting in verse 24, and I'll read through chapter 2, verse 5. This is Paul writing, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations now, but now revealed unto his saints. To them God, has chose, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is true. It's true regardless of how we feel about it. It's true regardless of what we do with it. And yet we pray tonight as we consider these words from your your servant, the Apostle Paul, that you would warm our hearts, that you would affect even our emotions as we consider what it is to be in ministry and where we stand on this day. And Father, we pray that your truth would so impact our lives that by your spirit we would walk away changed people. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray all of this. Amen. I told some of you this before, but one of the things that I love to do with freshman students as they come to K-State is somewhere around the end of the first semester or especially the end of their freshman year, I love to sit down with them and ask, how did college fit your expectations? Another way that I ask that same question is, what about the last nine months of life has surprised you? What did you not see coming? Sometimes I get a very blank stare that says, well, it's what I expected. Next question, please. But usually I get some sort of awkward laugh. And I hear something like this. Well, I didn't expect that my roommate would invite her boyfriend over for the weekend and not tell me. Or I hear things like, I didn't think that people could drink that much beer in one day. Or I hear things like, I had no idea that I'd have to work this hard. It's nothing like high school. It's a fascinating question for me to sit and talk with students about because it challenges them to reflect about their own ex- expectations of what their life should be like and the difference between what, it should, what they think it should have been like and what it is like. It reflects, it, it challenges them to be, because it reveals so much about where they are and who they are and what they're experiencing. You see, all of us know the, the experience of holding up our expectations and assumptions next to our experiences and seeing a gap between the two. We thought life would look like this. Reality is that it looks like this and there's this chasm that doesn't seem to be penetrable or crossable. And we wonder what happened between our expectations and between our experiences. And it leaves us wondering, what on earth are we supposed to do with that gap? What are we supposed to do with the difference that we very much feel, whether we acknowledge it or not, that what we thought was gonna be the case was one thing and what ended up being the case turned out to be something completely different. I wanna ask you all tonight, what do you do with that gap in your own life? In ministry, in parenthood, in marriage, in friendship, in vocation? What do you do with the gap that exists between what you expected to be the case and what is the case? I wanna spend some time together weighing both our experiences and our expectations against scripture our experiences and expectations for ministry, for church life, and for the rest of life. I want us to spend some time in that gap, and I want to use verses 24 through 29 of Colossians 1 to lead you in that. Now, if, if you need a, a list, if you need some sort of outline for where we're heading, Paul gives us, I want to see, see three different categories of areas that we're going to ask these questions about that Paul gives us in these verses. The three categories are very simply mission, message, and method. I try to keep it simple for us. Mission, method and mission, message, and method. The first thing I want us to consider is how Paul describes the nature of the mission to which he's been called. You see, he talks about the stewardship of God, that God had so ordered the world and so ordered Paul's life that this is what God had sent him to do, was to be an apostle. Now, we need to acknowledge right off the bat, none of us are apostles. None of us have a life, even, even apart from the fact that Paul wrote half of the New Testament, 
I don't think any of us have a life that closely resembles Paul, uh, Paul's life. He was sort of a traveling pastor, missionary, theologian, and probably a whole bunch of other things that we could load into that description. And none of us, our, li- our lives, none of us, for us, none of us, our lives look like that. And I think there's a lot we can gather as we hear Paul reflect on his own ministry to these people that he loved even from a distance. So let's look at the nature, first of all, the nature of the mission as Paul describes it. Notice where he begins in verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Central for Paul in understanding his own mission is that it was going to include suffering. He's writing from jail. Jail from what? For speaking out against a political candidate or political issue? No. He's in jail for preaching the gospel of God. In fact, near the end of Colossians, he prays that he would continue. He asks for prayer that he would continue to be able to proclaim the word of God clearly as if that's the thing that mattered, but that's the thing that got him in jail. That's the reason that he suffers. We know from Paul's conversion in Acts 9 that when the Lord was speaking to Ananias, he, the Lord said to Ananias, Go to Paul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Central to Paul's understanding of ministry was suffering for the sake of his name. That's what the Lord promised would happen. And indeed, Paul is acknowledging that is what happened. And yet, Paul is able to say at the very beginning, now I rejoice in this. Paul's joy is not to cover up the suffering. It's not to hide from the difficulty. It's not a pleasantry to to pretend that things aren't nearly as bad as we think they are. Paul is very honest to say that he suffers. And he rejoices in his participating in the suffering of Christ. If you've ever studied this passage, you know that there's some difficulty in understanding what he means when he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of, for the, sake of the church. He's filling up the afflictions of Christ, not adding to the finished work of Christ, but he's continuing the work to which Christ has called him to suffer because it is so central to his calling. Indeed, it is central to our calling as those who are a part of the church. Paul reflects in Philippians 3. He says this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The Apostle Paul is acknowledging that part of the nature of the mission to which God has called him is that he would suffer. What's what's assumed though in in verse 25, he says this, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Not only does, is the nature of his mission that Paul is called to suffer, very simply, he's called to work hard. Notice verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that powerfully works within me. And then in the next, very next verse, the first one of chapter 2, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that have not yet seen me. Not only does the na- is the nature of mission that he would suffer, but very simply for the Apostle Paul that he would work hard. And what's key to this is what he says repeatedly in these verses. He would do suffer and he would work hard for your sake, for the sake of his body, the church, for you, for you and for those who have not even seen me. I strive, I suffer, I struggle, I work hard. Beloved, it's easy for us to live as if the moment something gets difficult, we want to run and hide. We run and hide to nurse our wounds. We run and hide to pretend that, it, that it, the struggle doesn't exist. The moment life gets difficult, 
we try something to get away from the difficulty. We want to run. And yet the reality is it's part of our calling. It's part of our calling as ministers. It's part of our calling as elders and deacons. It's part of our calling as part of the body of Christ. I often have to, I've told engaged couples in the past during premarital counseling that just because life gets hard, it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. We are finite creatures. We are sinful creatures seeking to love sinful creatures, seeking to serve sinful creatures. Just because it gets hard, just because we suffer, and just because we have to work long hours, it doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong. Beloved, did you expect to suffer? And did you expect to have to work harder than you've ever worked in your life? Did you expect betrayal? Did you expect to be slandered? Did you expect to be, expect to be gossiped about? Did you expect your family to be betrayed, slandered, and gossiped about? Did you expect people not to like you because of what you preach about? Not even because of how you preach, but because of what you preach about. Did you expect the rejection that you've tasted? Did you expect late nights and early mornings? Did you expect preaching to be a chore at times? Did you expect praying in public to be something that would terrify you and that you would labor over never feeling satisfied with what you, wrote, what you prayed? Did you ever expect listening to people in their troubles to be difficult. So what do you do then when you find yourself exhausted, sad, beaten up? What do you do with the gap between your expectation and your experience? Not only does Paul talk about the nature of the mission that we're called to, but he also talks in these verses about the content of the message. It's what we see in verses, really in verses 26 and 27, but it bleeds over into 25 and 28 as well. He ends verse 25 by talking about making the word of God fully known. And then verse 26, he says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If the, if the, the mission involves suffering and laboring of hard work, the message involves this mystery. And he tells us multiple times in multiple ways that this mystery focuses our attention on Jesus himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the message that we proclaim, he says in the beginning of verse 28. But it's not only that the, the content of the message is not only Jesus himself. Look again at verse 27 and notice how he describes the content of this message. He says, um, to them, in verse 27, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The riches there is not, is not rich like a rich, rich food and, and, and thick chocolate cake. But it's a money word to describe the abundance of the glory that awaits all. That the message is for all, even the nations, even people like us who live in Kansas. He says, this is the hope of glory Christ in you. It's the message that is set before us. What's fascinating about how he uses this word mystery, not to say that it's a secret that only the select few can know, because he makes the point to say this has been revealed, but as if to say there was a time when it was harder to see, but now it has been made clear. You may be familiar with uh, Warfield's words speaking about the Trinity, where he writes this, The Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished, but dimly lit. The introduction of light brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out into clearer view how much of what was in it, but was only dimly or not at all perceived before. 
Thus the Old Testament revelation of God is not corrected by the fuller revelation which follows it, but is only perfected, extended, and enlarged. It's like a dimly lit chamber. That's the, that's the, that's the mystery. And when Christ came, the fullness of it was revealed to be what it is. Even among the Gentiles, which are spoken of time and again in the, in the Old Testament. The promise that the nations would be blessed, that the coastlands would praise God. And yet Jesus came and all was fully revealed. It's the experience my family and I had earlier this week as we were finishing up our vacation. We pulled into our hotel late at night and the darkness had set over the land and you could see sort of shapes and figures in the landscape, but you couldn't see very much very clearly. And so we, went, we pulled the curtains to that night and went to bed. We woke up a little bit late because we were all tired after camping for the week. And my wife thrust open the windows and as soon as those thick hotel curtains were opened up, the beaming light came in and blinded us. It was so bright. But it brought clarity to the room in which we were living, but it also brought clarity to the whole landscape. And we could everything that was, what was once shrouded and dark was now fully lit and fully clear. The mystery has been revealed. Jesus is the message we proclaim. Jesus among the Gentiles is the message we proclaim, the message of abundance, of, eterni of eternity, of hope. Consider your own experiences, brothers, especially. How does what you thought your message would be line up with what you hear yourself saying and thinking week after week? Is the message Jesus among the Gentiles, Jesus for the world, Jesus among all peoples, or is it something else? And what is the experience of the people around you? Not only what do you hear yourself saying, but what do the people in your congregations hear yourself saying time and hear you saying time and again? What did you expect it to be? And what is the case? And what do you do with the difference? Where Paul ends this section in verses 28 and, and verse 28 is describing not only the mission and the message that he brings, but the method of the work by which he brings it. The, the nature of the, the work itself really is beautifully summarized in the first three words of verse 28. He says, Him we proclaim. Beloved, our call is to make a proclamation. Our, problem, our call is not to first fix people, not to first bring easy or cheap comfort, but to announce that Jesus has come, that Jesus is the Savior of all who would look to him for salvation. It's a proclamation. It's the announcing of good news is the work to which we're called. But notice how this method is, is articulated as we continue on through the verse. He first says, he next says, warning everyone. It's Nathan Curry's favorite Greek word, nutheo, nutheo, I believe it actually it is. It means warning or to admonish, to correct, or to warn. It's to speak of what is not right in people's lives. To speak to what is dangerous if it's something they've already done, are considering doing, or will do in the future. Part of our calling in the ministry of the word is to warn, to admonish, to correct. But he adds to this, as we keep reading in verse 28, he adds to this, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. As if to say there is a content to our message. That there is, there, there is instruction that is to be given about the word of God, about the nature of God, about who God is, and about how he is at work in his world. It's not only warning, but it's warning alongside of instruction. And notice three times in verse 28 the word everyone appears. F.F. F. Bruce writes on this verse, he says, All the truth of God is for all the people of God. You see, the temptation is to think, the, the richness of scripture, the richness of God's truth, the richness of our doctrine is only for the select few. And yet the Apostle Paul says we admonish everyone. We teach everyone. 
so that we might present everyone mature. And that's where he lands. That the, that the intention of this work is that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That the, the, that the people in our congregations would be brought to maturity through our labors. It's what Paul reflects in Ephesians 4. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every human cunning, by, by, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We would know where, that our congregations would know where they stand. It's the method we're called to, 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 to pursue to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Jesus, to warn, to teach, to warn and teach all so that they might grow up. We're called to warn. We're called to teach. We're called to labor. This means, beloved, that we are called to say difficult things that don't want to be heard. At times it means we're called to, to call sin, sin, and not back down. It means that at times it will mean that we, we were called to confess our own sins before people that we have wronged. However much that may be a stab to our pride. We were to say difficult things. Did you expect to have to do that? Is it surprising you how much you have to do that? Did you expect that there are facts that, there are, that your people simply don't know? Does it surprise you? Does biblical illiteracy surprise you? Does the knowledge that your congregation brings to the table as you preach, as you lead Bible studies, as you counsel, as you talk one-on-one, -on -one, does it surprise you what you need to instruct people and what you need to help them understand? Again, I ask you, what do you do with the gap between your expectation and your experience? Often, it's easy for us to want to shorten our expectation, isn't it? Many of you have been in ministry far longer than I have. And you know that that's often what we do. When our experience and our expectation don't match up, we shorten our expectation. It's like what I learned sometime after college, that the best way to enjoy a summer blockbuster movie is to go to the theater with as little expectation as I absolutely can have, because then I won't be disappointed and feel like I just wasted 10 bucks on a movie. It's what we do. Cynicism is easy. We don't even have to think about it. They won't get this. They won't understand this. They'll never change. It's where we live because we don't know what to do with the gap that exists. It's easy to be cynical, brothers. But what if by God's word we shifted our expectations in the other direction? What if we shifted our expectations to expect more? Not from our people and maybe not even from ourselves, but to expect more because it's where Paul leads us through this passage. You see, because God has called you and me to this ministry of suffering, to this ministry of labor that will wear me out and leave me exhausted. And yet somehow Paul is able to talk about in those moments of suffering and exhaustion, he's still able to talk about joy because it's where God has placed him in following in the footsteps of Jesus. We can, we can extend our expectation because God has given us this message. The message is not fix yourself. The message is not listen to me. The message is Jesus. The message is Jesus for the world, the only hope of the world. And we can extend our expectation because God himself shapes our method. Not to cheap comfort and easy advice, but to proclaim, to admonish, to teach, so that our people might grow. 
the beauty of all of this is that God calls us to do this, to live this, to embrace this ministry for his body, for the body of Christ, his church. It's why church planning is so vital. And if you talk to Travis Shanahan for any number of, any, any little bit of time about his heart for the, for the state of Kansas, you'll hear him talk about the importance of church planning and, and what is it going to look like for us, even as small a Presbyterian as we are, to continue to pursue church planning. I know we've hit our bumps. I know it hasn't been an easy road all the time. And yet Paul is talking about doing this for the sake of the church. It's why RUF is on campus at K-State, because we believe that the church is, what is God's means of bringing life to this broken world. And so you send a minister to the, to the campus as a part of the church on, to be on the campus. Beloved, it's why we do what we do. It's why we join the church. It's why we take the vows, the membership vows that we take, whether it's before Presbytery, before the local church. It's for the sake of the church because it's through the church that God promises to show his glory to the heavens. Beloved, it's what he calls us to. I want to challenge us following Paul's leadership through the word of God to change our expectations because at the end of the day, God not only calls us to this place, but God says, this is what I'm going to use. This is what I'm going to use. I'm going to use your suffering and because you're going to use your labors, however imperfect it may be, I'm going to use your suffering and your labors. I'm going to use the message that you proclaim in my name. I'm going to use the method of proclamation, the method of preaching, which Paul calls foolishness. I'm going to use that to change people's lives. Beloved, we set our expectation. I want us to renew our expectation, to shift our expectation, because God himself says he's at work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father, I'm guessing that many of us are weary. It's summer and maybe for some of us, one part of life has slowed down, but usually that means another part of life has picked up. You know our weariness, Father. You know the suffering, you know the laboring. You know the sleepless nights, you know the anxiety, you know the fear and the dread of expectation of what's coming next. You know the anticipation and the anxiety looking towards the fall. And you also know the excitement that we feel. You know the excitement of new things starting, of new faces coming, and you know everything in between. Father, we bring our weariness, we bring our excitement, we bring all of it to you because you are the one who is at work. Father, would you continue to lead us forward to look to you in our weakness and our weariness, to look to you as the one who called us to this place and is at work in us and through us. Would you continue to shape our lives as you continue to shape our congregations? It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.